what's interesting about the NFL is there is almost complete alignment on the commercial objectives and outcomes and certainly equal sharing of those outcomes in it for the greater part. And that means the discussion meeting is around, you know, how do we make things better? How do we enhance what we have? How do we create more revenue streams? And, and there's complete alignment on that. Um, so you spend less time you know, jostling and trying to move things in a, in, a, in a difficult way across many, many different stakeholders. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. Good to be back and delighted to be bringing you, for the first time in a very long time, an interview conducted in person for the podcast. I last spoke to Brett Gosper in Paris back in February 2020 when he was Chief Executive of World Rugby. A few things have happened since then, one of which is that Brett is now the head of Europe and the UK at the National Football League, a position he took up early this year. I went into the NFL's regional office in London's West End, to talk to Brett ahead of the UK's two international series games in 2021. You might well be listening to this podcast somewhere in between the Atlanta Falcons 27-20 win over the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins all-Florida affair with the Jacksonville Jaguars, both taking place at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I talked to Brett about, among other things, returning to this city and that venue after a COVID-mandated break last year, how the NFL's international structure has changed and how that reflects its ambitions, the implications of a rule change allowing individual franchises to market themselves overseas, and how far the UK template can be copied in other territories like Germany. He also explained how his role at the NFL differs from one leading a global governing body and what he learned at World Rugby and his previous life in ad agencies. And he discusses the work that can be done on player safety, especially when it comes to the risk of long-term brain injury across American football, soccer and rugby. That's just ahead of us. Also to come, well, lots of exciting stuff across all of SportsPro's podcast channels and its digital and events platforms, not to mention a new magazine this month, if you are enjoying the Sports Pro podcast, please do be sure to subscribe, to like and share the content we put out on social media. Join in the conversation there yourself with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're so minded, leave us a positive rating and a review on your favoured podcast platform. That will really help us to keep our community growing and ultimately to make this programme better. Okay, let's hear now from Brett Gosper. Brett Gosper, Head of Europe and the UK at the National Football League. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for having me because this is an incredibly rare treat for me. It's a, an in-person recording of a podcast. I think it's the first one I've done for about 18 months. Now, I don't think you were the last person I spoke to in person for an interview, but <laughs> you'd certainly be in the last three or four. Fair bit's happened to you since then. You were at that point... Chief Executive of World Rugby at the start of 2020. Uh, you've now moved into what's really quite a different role in a, in a lot of respects in terms of the type of organisation that you're involved with. Obviously, you're going to be facing a lot of the same challenges. And we'll, we'll get on to 
the, the similarities and the differences. Sure. You know, what, what attracted you to the role, first of all? I feel almost like Mrs. Merton, kind of. <laughs> yeah. What attracted you to the multi-billion <laughs> organisation that is the well, NFL? Well, of course, it wasn't the money. It was all about <laughs> a bit of change, a bit of freshness. No, look, I'd been at World Rugby for nine years. In my own mind, it was whether I would continue on for another cycle, which is really another World Cup. Uh, Rugby World Cup into France, which would have been great because obviously it was heading, it's heading towards being a spectacular World Cup. I just felt it was was time. Uh, I wasn't looking for the change, but I, I was, you know, contacted uh, by the NFL and started getting conversations with them, and it started to become just attractive to make that change. Uh, nine years through uh, my, my my World Rugby, I saw a lot of similarities in terms of the challenges that a challenger sport in this part of the world, which the NFL is, uh, faces as, as rugby does in its in, in the majority of its markets where it's a challenger sport. Um, and I also saw, saw some freshness and some difference in the organizational structure. Um, yeah, certainly on, on, on the investment front and so on, that, that, that to me added up to quite an exciting change. Also, not that uh, I have anything against Dublin, but Dublin, I was based in Dublin, but living in London. After nine years of commuting, uh, quite nice to just have to, you know, wander in Leicester Square here in London, where where the HQ is here for Europe. So uh, it, it's a, it's a nice change. Yeah, you got here just in time for that commute to be, um, to to be a, a brief non-issue at least. But we, it, it was back yeah. now talking about um, NFL games that are happening and are happening in person with crowds and and so on. And, and you know, the, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll spend a good bit of time covering that, but. How much is this your role now compared to, you know, how much has it changed per your understanding of, of how the NFL's international operation was structured before? How much has it changed to, I think, to a different remit? I mean, it's hard for me to talk about how things were before I arrived, but position didn't exist. They didn't have a head of Europe. There's a head of international based in the States um, where I report into. Um, and and there, is, uh, there was a country manager here, uh, Alice Kirkwood, who did an amazing job. Um, so in a way, I've taken on Alice's responsibilities for the UK, but expanding my remit across Europe because there is a greater focus on Europe, in particular some of the very high growth markets and markets which are delivering you know, high levels of, of fans and fan engagement and revenue, such as Germany, France, other parts of Southern Europe, the Nordics, and so on. So, the idea is to is to, is to really focus more on Europe than the, than the the company has in the past. Yeah. So that I mean, it's a striking thing in your job title, but that's reflected through kind of the project as it stands for you from this point on. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm getting to know things in in the UK in particular. There are games here. There are a lot of let's say tangible assets that we have and manage in the UK. We've got quite a reasonable size staff here with international employees as well. We're about 50 staff here and so on. Uh, look, the idea is to take some of those learnings out of the UK and redeploy them in other markets. We're looking at the possibility of having games in Germany. We're looking at um, you know, setting an office up in Germany, which we're, we're progressed on. Um, and, 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 and then through our data and analytics, uh, some, some projective analysis work out, you know, which are the markets in, in Europe that are that we think are worthwhile investing in to get our return on the investment that we're seeking. What, from your perspective, what do you feel that you were bringing into this role? Um, you have probably have to ask them. I guess I bring a wealth of experience in in, in managing a sporting brand, 
it's a governing body. It's a different different than than managing a league, but there are development learnings from rugby. Um, there are also operational learnings from Rugby World Cup, um, and I think that there are marketing learnings uh, across the board. And essentially, most of our activities across these markets in Europe is is, is very marketing focused. My background before I jo- joined World Rugby was in the was 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 managing advertise different advertising agencies in New York, in London, and and in Paris. So I think my marketing background also plays into uh, some of the requirements of the approaches that we're taking in a lot of the markets across Europe. Yeah, and then you know to turn it on its head, obviously this is all still relatively new to you. It's still still a first full season. Um, but what are you what are you learning about being part of a a, a rights holder that owns the whole thing from top to bottom. You're not a you're not a kind of mediator. You're not <laughs> yeah, a, it, it, um, a rule setter. That's that's true. Um, it's, it's a it's look. It's a very big organization, a much bigger organization. Um, in whether it be talking revenue, numbers of of, of bodies, people, etc. Having said that, um, it's actually less complicated in many ways. We were we were a kind of aggregator. World Rugby as a governing body. You're always coming up against a little bit of resistance. There's in the rugby world quite a fragmented approach to the generation of commercial revenues and a little bit of protectionism because uh, people feel it's a zero sum game and therefore you've, you're always hitting up against certain groups within world rugby that, that might not allow you to do what you want to do if you were just working in a streamlined organization. Um, and by streamlined, I mean, what's interesting about the NFL is there is almost complete alignment on the commercial objectives and outcomes and certainly equal sharing of those outcomes in it for the greater part. Um, and that means the discussion meeting is around, you know, how do we make things better? How do we enhance what we have? How do we create more revenue streams? And, and there's complete alignment on that. Um, so you spend less time, you know, jostling and trying to uh, move things in, in, in a difficult way across many, many different stakeholders. So that, in a, in a way, I mean, that's not just World Rugby. I think that's a governing body per se, whether it even be a local governing body um, like the RFU or or another international governing body. That is the nature of the business at a governing body. You're also you know, in, incredibly broad in your deployment in a governing body. You know, you, you're probably a mile wide and an inch deep in some cases, whereas when you're in, a, in an organization that's as focused as the NFL, you've, you're less in, in my deployment. There are other people doing a lot of what I used to do at World Rugby, which is great, and I can focus on growing those markets that are they're in my remit. So I'd say I'm probably six inches deep and 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 half a mile wide if I'm if I'm to flatter myself to a certain extent. But yeah, that, it, it's it's different. Yeah, and and where do you fit in? What has there been any shift with the kind of the broadening of um, of your responsibilities? Has there been any shift in where you fit within that bigger corporate structure with the NFL? No, I think I think um, again I can't measure how things things were before. It's obviously very important that I have the good relationships in New York. Um, Chris Halpin, who's the head of international and strategy and growth, who I report into, um, allows me the space to engage with that, that that office in New York and Los Angeles, which are you know big offices with with lots of different resources. And he's keen that I get to know as many people as possible over there. So that I can get the best out of the organisation, and they can get the best out of me, um, and you know everything I've been doing so far, and pushing into in, in, into Germany with, you know, uh, engaging 
people and engaging processes around the games and and, and so on has, has, has been welcomed and you know allows me to press on so you know there'll be some some restructuring that will help me um, manage that that uh, process and deployment across Europe over time um, I've certainly spent because it's such a big and, and in many ways complex organization but more because of its size um, it's probably taken I've been here for about nine months probably taken me six months to get good enough visibility to to understand what I'm what I'm doing um, and now I, I feel a little bit more liberated and, and and kind of know the direction of things a bit better well I'm sure that both from your presence internally and you know your understanding of, of what the job entails you you do a crash course now in the next couple of weeks as we're talking with the the two games in London this year there are just two this year so there's both at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is that ask a silly question but is that a response to COVID protocols to have a slightly more limited run yeah I think we from the process where we integrated into the calendar and the schedule uh, in May last May having just the two games just seem manageable given all of the contingencies that may that we may have had to factor in at some point in time so obviously like everyone else who's in the uh, you know hospitality sporting business and, and events business we had a bit of a roller coaster just working out where the direction of things were going to head certainly in may we started to feel optimistic enough to, to announce the two games it seemed it seemed sensible um that two games would be right to manage everything and also just the protocols being managed across one in in one stadium across two stadia was also easier so it's just just made because there's there is a lot more complexity that that covid throws on your planning and your organization and so it it, it does seem good to just get have the, have the two games this year versus a, a higher number than than we've had in previous years should we read anything into the fact that both of those games are at Tottenham Hotspur stadium rather than at Wembley stadium well, look the only thing you'd read into it is that we have a, a long term deal with Tottenham to deliver two games a year um, you know the owners voted for the compulsory four games with that added 17th game in the in the regular season so there are four international games going forward two of those we would think would be in London one would be Mexico and the question mark is whether the other will be in Germany going forward and we're looking into that and we're we're, we're hopeful that will be the case so no nothing looking you know we have a, we have a deal to do two games at Tottenham they have a purpose-built, state-of-the-art sta- stadium that they've that they've created for the NFL, um, and it's a fantastic home for the NFL here here in in London. We obviously maintain our relationship with with Wembley. Were there to be more games, and were other teams to decide to come over, Wembley is also also an alternative for those games. Hmm. What's the planning been like for for these these COVID-affected games? You you were lucky enough now, as we said, to have a a full stadium with fans. We're pretty likely to see fewer travelling fans, I would anticipate, than previous years. But what are some of the other accommodations that you've had to make? Yeah, I I think it's just been following over the period the different protocols that were mainly being speculated upon but not really being announced. I mean, we've been fortunate we've got a close relationship with DCMS at the government level, also with the mayor's office. And, you know, the government, while being very cautious about you know, the safety of, 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 of fans and players have, have been very good in, in giving us the optimism and the confidence that we were, that the games were going to be okay to put on. And of course, there's been a magnificent summer of sport also in the United Kingdom, which also gave us, um, you know, great confidence that our games were good. But you, you never knew that if at some point things might 
head back in the other direction and there might be restrictions on crowd sizes um, and, and other elements that might create complexity in your, in your, in, in your event. Yeah, there's definitely fewer international visitors. We've got quite a few coming across from the United States. Um, things are a little bit easier on that front in terms of travel and so on. But certainly, you know, in the premium, let's say, hospitality sales, there was a little bit of softness because, we, we you know, often there's about 25% of that is is people coming in from, from elsewhere. And so on. we also have a large European, German and, and French, uh, Irish uh, contingent that come in as well. Um, and there's probably in the initial stages of the, of the uh, ticketing a lot less of that, but yeah, it's it's been planning contingencies all the way, and actually in real terms, things haven't changed that dramatically from where the last games were. In the end, of course, there'll be a lot of travel protocols to go through for the players and the, and the squads that come through. Um, there'll be some checking of COVID of, of uh, vaccination. And uh, and 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 also checking of you know testing within the last forty eight hours as well at the stadium spot checks and so on, but generally speaking, we're we're not a long way from uh, normality, which is a good thing. Mm. I mean, what? How does it affect the rest of the week? You quite often will see stuff like you know the fan events not far yeah. from here, Regent Street, and yeah. I th- I th- look, I think uh, actually it won't affect them a great deal. I think there's you know the the, the teams visiting have got events happening. They've got they've taken over the the, the the pubs that they like to take over too. Um, you know, there'll be a great uh, bit of pageantry out at the stadium, you know, pre-game and the halftime show and so on. Um, so, look, I think the fans themselves who come out to the games and who watch on television and actually who experience uh, their teams through that week won't see a lot of difference. Maybe there's not the mega event at Trafalgar Square or, or Regent Street, um, but there's there's definitely a, a similar look and feel as, as we've seen in the past. In terms of the ticketing, what's you know that that's a it's a famously hot ticket. Basically, it sells out pretty quickly. And uh, but when you take out some of the uh, some of the the sectors that you were just talking about there, the European travelers, maybe some of your US traveling fan base, although although not all, um, has that affected the? The strategy you've had when it's come to rolling tickets out, or is the demand still kind the of demand still very high? And and we were able to move, uh, you know, some of that premium ticketing, general ticketing, pretty pretty simply. You know, there were there were very big queues that moved through pretty quickly. The demand was high, and the tickets sold out actually very quickly. Again, we're operating two games at about sixty thousand capacity. Um, if we'd have had four games, maybe it'd be a different story. But there's a lot of pent up demand. I think in this market there was, you know, a year out without these games. These games are a huge part of the the, the London and British sporting landscape, and and the fans are delighted to be back. So so I think that that demand was pent up. We saw that in our viewing figures and our social media figures over the period where games weren't played in London. The fans didn't disappear. They kept watching and they kept watching in 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 you know in in the in the millions. So. Um, no, we had very, very strong demand. Given that gap, given that um, that pent up demand, as you as you call it, what? How do you assess this year as a, a kind of development post in in um, you know or a, a signpost in the development of, of NFL in the UK? Yeah, look, we've got lots of criteria on which we which we base our assessment of whether we're progressing and so on. And overall, we you know we do fan panels that work out. How many fans there are in a market? How many avid fans there are on a market? We 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 look closely at the average minute audience of each you know broadcast 
uh, Touchpoint, um, whether it be on Sky, BBC, etc. We do this for all of our core markets around the world, as well as you know, obviously social media activity, engagement, and reach. So, so there's a number of different uh, you know criteria that we use. Obviously, the fans' experience at the games themselves is taken into consideration, as well as our sponsors, partners, um, whether it be you know broadcast or or otherwise in in the stadium. So. There are lots of KPIs that, that that roll up that we can assess if we're making progress. But ultimately, we're trying to grow our fan base in, in this part of the world. So the overall fan numbers and the avid fan numbers, as well as audience figures, which are more tangibly linked to revenues and so on, are, are critical for us. We've seen strong growth in the early part of this year before the Games. And the Games add to that tangibility and relevance for the sport in the UK, which is why you know we create... Other elements, such we have a, an academy in the UK, the NFL Academy, which is for you know students from 16 to 18 that we hope one day might become NFL players or at least college players or will help them um, develop their skill sets in other parts of, of, of the United Kingdom in universities and so on. That academy is a big part of our content strategy for the youth audience and that ca- academy helps change, change lives for students. But it makes, it gives us a... Uh, almost a tentpole, as, as the Americans call it, around which we can build other activities like a charitable foundation, which we'll be launching soon in the United Kingdom as well, um, which will also help development, but also help just have that presence in the UK. I often say part of my job is to make over there feel like over here. And, you know, that that distance of the NFL being, you know, across the water, people, we want people to feel that the NFL is very much part of the landscape here in the United Kingdom and increasingly so in Europe. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, the reason you know I asked the the previous question was that it it's at an interesting point now in in the UK. The the games themselves have shown how viable they can be. They've sold out repeatedly over a, a, a more than ten year period. Um, you're now looking at an international project that's not just in this one site. So you know, it, it, I suppose the the question is now, what's the character of of the NFL project over the, the next ten years in the UK. Yeah, I mean, and there's another there's another development as well, which has been voted by the owners. Apart from embedding those four international games into the into the schedule, making them compulsory rather than something that we were able to wrangle because there was a stadium requirement in the United States that needed fulfilling, etc. So the the voting of those four games is, is is a substantial step. The other thing that's been voted by the owners is the allowance of teams to market and commercialize in foreign markets. This will commence in 22. There are marketing plans being written by the clubs that will then be you know, approved by the owners. And there might be as many as five or six clubs deployed in some of the key markets, which will be activating and commercializing. That again will raise, we think, the activity and the prominence of NFL in these markets via the clubs, which also adds a lot of avidity to the fan base. Um, so that's, I think, another ex- exciting element. So it, 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 it's growing that that fan base, um, probably increasing, I think, over time, the number of games that might be in this market because people like the Jaguars and other teams who are investing to commercialise in Germany, the UK and other markets in Europe may decide to take some of their home games to those markets as well as the games that are already slated for here as well. So you could see an increase in those games, therefore an increase overall in the presence. And I know often the question is, so when is there going to be a, I can see it in your eyes, when is when, when is there going to be a franchise in, in London and so on? And that's 
not something that we can control. It's obviously a decision uh, that, that the owners will, will have to make ultimately one day if that's something that they wish to do. But our job is to ensure that the market is ready for that kind of movement should that decision be taken, i.e. a very strong fan base, a very strong media receptivity to uh, the sport and and stadia that can host major games in this market. I think we've got to the point where we're ticking all three of those areas pretty strongly. And, and you know, as I say, it's it's really up to, the, to, to any of the owners if they decide that ultimately this might be a market that they could base a team here. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I've... I've- you know that I think that question's been asked of every NFL yeah. executive based in London, and they probably give the same answer. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure whether it makes it less likely that there's going to be a team here if it if you're creating what is much more deliberately international strategy in that way, and you're saying Mexico is a part of the calendar, and you're saying Germany you hope will be part of the calendar. Maybe in ten years we'll be talking about you know other markets, China or or somewhere else as as, as part of that calendar. Um, I won't leave it to you to speculate on on that, but I do think the um, the the you know freeing up teams to uh, to market internationally, I suppose it does change the incentive uh, profile for them quite considerably. I mean, are you expecting to have conversations with them that are markedly different next year and the year after from the ones perhaps? I, th- I uh, think so. I think those teams that are targeting European markets. We'd sit down with them and you know work out the best ways they can get the best out of this market in a way that's good for those those, those organisations as well as the NFL themselves. And obviously, it, it has to work together. I don't. I'd argue that makes the the, the added activity um, and the halo effect of that activity it would probably have a, a more positive effect in terms of it being an attractive market for one day an owner saying mm-hmm. London is, is is very ripe. For a for a um, for an NFL club to come here, but I suppose they can be more deliberate about that and take a five, ten, fifteen year view and and work out what is what's attractive here, what works here. No, totally. And and, and this kind of program will give them the opportunity to put a toe in the water and just get a sense of what their fan base is and and, and what those possibilities might be. But again, you know, uh, we're all speculating, and that's all we can do. Mm. What are, what are some of the other ways in which this um, you know, you're going to be implementing this slightly more European, uh, European-wide outlook over the next few years. Well, I think it's ensuring. Very first, the first thing is identifying the markets and, and and understanding with our projective analysis where are the markets that will get a real return on investment, and some of that is where those markets have a very strong broadcast market as well. It's obviously worth investing in markets where you know. The values of the media are high and are interesting for for the organisation, um, and also where where we have a good um, fit between free to air and sometimes subscription channels uh, uh, and so on is also a good formula for us to have that visibility because visibility is hugely important, probably more important at this development stage than than actually you know seeking revenues in the early phase of some of the development of these markets and so on. So. Having a very strong free-to-air partner is, is 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 an important part of the analysis, and then obviously you know how can we make things even more tangible? Are games possible in these markets? Where would they fit into the inventory? Are there other elements that we can create? Are NFL academies something we can roll out in other areas? What are we doing at the grassroots level in terms of flag football as well, which is a great development tool 
for here. Um, and, you know, you've got to invest at both ends of the pyramid. You've got to invest at the, at the NFL games end of the pyramid in terms of, you know, playing games here in this part of the world. But also you have to demonstrate that you're not just a fly-by-night. We're here to develop the player base as well and to give that tangibility to the, to the younger audience through the possibility to play and also to discover on, the, on, on our different platforms. How much would you be looking to replicate what you've done uh, or what's been done in the UK over the last 10 years? How, how, like, let's take the UK and Germany as, yeah, as counterpoints here. Do, do you have to, do you, is there a playbook or is it just kind of responding to market conditions? What's no, no, I think, I think definitely the UK is a template and, and it's taken a while to get to this template. And I think what the UK have done over the last you know, 10 to 12 years is a good is 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 a great example for for a template for for Germany and and the fact that it's been done and experimented with it's a great starting point in those markets as a as a place to head for very quickly and not lose time. Sure, there'll be some local executional uh, uh, differences, um, and that needs to be seen through the the eyes of uh, of a local general manager, which is, which I said we're in the in the process of of recruiting. You. Know, the, the the Germany market is the is bigger in in most areas, whether it be fan base, engagement, our consumer products business, um, our Game Pass business, um, Madden NFL. It's bigger than the UK, yet we don't have really a single person who's one hundred percent of their time focused on that market. Um, the UK's had far more attention, and the games have kind of led 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 us that way a bit. So if we had similar focus and, and, and resource over time in the German market, we think it, it will it will really you know see some some huge benefits over the time. So yeah, short short answer. Lots of what's being done here can be redeployed and be successful in Germany, but it's a different country. It's a different culture. Actually, in many ways, NFL has a has a greater awareness, a greater player base, and as I said, a greater commercialization in this market. So. We're pushing against a very open door in Germany. Mm. Um, we've got a, a few minutes left. And be, before um, we wrap up, I, there was something I wanted to ask you, perhaps drawing more on your background with, with World Rugby. But, you know, it, it's been a big story here in the last few weeks because of what's happened historically with football and, and kind of um, the the cases of, of former players developing dementia late in life. I'm talking about player safety and, and head injury, CTE, that kind of thing is a challenge that's shared between rugby and, uh, and and the NFL. How much scope do you think there is to develop safer practices and, and better knowledge bases across all of those sports where, yeah, where they're seeing some of these difficulties? There is, and there are there are forums, and, and, and our medical people at World Rugby and at the NFL have gotten together a number of times on in, in areas of concussion, so on shared learnings. It's it's, it's a bit like COVID. It's a global thing. It affects a lot of sports and, and, and anyone who's making advances in the knowledge and understanding and management of concussion injuries is is going to share that as best they can as not for one sport to, to hold all the gold in that area. So I think, and what I've discovered is I left World Rugby believing and still believe that they do absolutely everything they can to ensure the safety of players. And that's the, the direction of travel continuously as they find some some, some evidence-based reasons to do that. Um, and uh, equally in arriving here, um, where from a distance, you know, there've been issues in the past and law, lawsuits here at the NFL, I can see there's an incredibly serious approach 
to the way the protection of, of, of the head and concussion is also managed at the NFL. Not always in exactly the same way, but the, but the sharings will, will and the research and the evidence will, will 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 point them in the same direction over time. So, look, it's a it's, it's a big part of contact sports and even sports that you wouldn't consider as contact. We've got a medical conference here in the UK next week, which is with uh, the Premiership and the NFL getting together and comparing some some knowledge around injuries, all not just you know concussion, but all injuries based. So, I think it's it's important that all federations who are investing in this area and researching this area share as much as possible. Yeah. Do you think the were the bridges being built between those organizations um, effectively enough in the past? Do you, do you think that's still an area where there's there are things to be learned and there are uh, structures to be built? Basically? I, th- I think so. I think there's still a journey to be to be done by by, you know, in, in the whole area of concussion. It's not an area that there's been an incredible amount of certain information about. So there's greater research and the more research you have and the more evidence you have, the more you can actually tailor programs to it. And I think, you know, as I say, rugby invested heavily, but you can always invest more and you can always draw on on on, on, on great things. But I think, you know, certainly rugby and its HIA protocol and so on, you know, led the area uh, across sport um, in, in, that, in that sense at the time. And yeah, look, the more you discover, the more you understand, the more there is to be done. And I, and I know that's the path that, both organisations are on. You've got a busy week, and we're about to run out of time. What, what's the uh, what, what's next for the NFL? What, where does the strategy unfold from here? And, and for you personally, what are some of the priorities in that period? How long term a project is it? I think this is an organisation that likes results quickly, and they may invest over a long period of time, but they want to see results quickly. And we we measure things on a weekly basis here. I remember when I came in from World Rugby, says, "How often do we do these panels?" We're on a four-year cycle at World Rugby, so often our consumer data is is annual, not not weekly. But here it's weekly, so um, you know, it's really seeing that everything that we do is 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 has resonance in the market, creating new programs that have that resonance, and rolling them out across Europe as as quickly as we can, as quickly as our resources will allow us to do that. And of course, we'll be allowed to have those resources as we prove success over time. So the priority is to take what we've learned here and has worked, to take it elsewhere in Europe and see how quickly it can work there as well. And, and, and that's quite exciting to, to, to be part of. Thanks very much for your time, Brad. Great pleasure. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. 